This morning we'll be in Malachi, Malachi 2, verses 1 to 9. Malachi 2, verses 1 to 9. Have you ever set out with the goal to accomplish something, only to get to the end and to turn around to look back and to realize that you did not accomplish it at all? You completely missed the target. We've all had that at one time or another. But every time I I think of something that does not accomplish a purpose, my mind goes to uh, a friend I had in college. He was just a few doors down from me when I was in the dorms. And it kind of became a joke on our hall. Because every time there's a big paper or a big test due, he would get in one of these moods. And you guys probably get in these moods too, where you just, you got to get stuff done. You're, mind, you're just, you are locked in. And you are just, you are working, you're accomplishing your purpose. But what was funny about him was he would get in this mood and he would get to work, but he would work on everything except the one thing he had to do. So he would get up and he would, you know, he'd, be in one, he'd make his bed. He didn't do that every morning, but he would do it these mornings. He'd get up, he'd make his bed. And he'd, he'd, he'd iron all his clothes and he'd make sure that his shoes were sorted that his, his sink was clean and his desk was, everything was organized. And he would go and he would take a shower. And by the end of the day, everything was in its place. Everything was clean. Everything had been accomplished except the one thing that he had set out to do. He hadn't studied. He hadn't written this paper. He had, he had failed miserably at the one thing that he was trying to accomplish. As we turn our attention to Malachi, the end of chapter 1 into the first several verses of chapter 2, that's what we see here. These priests are setting out. They have the goal. They they, they at least somewhat want to worship God, and yet everything they're doing, they're accomplishing everything except that. The one thing they're not doing is they're not worshiping God. Rather, they're showing their contempt for God. Our passage this morning, verses 1 to 9 of chapter 2, builds on what we saw last week in chapters 1, 6 to 14. Malachi, as we've mentioned, is divided um, by kind of conversations. God will say something and the people will respond. We come to chapter 2, the first nine verses, it's still connected to God's response to what they said In verse 7, in what way have we defiled you? In what way have we defiled you? God is answering this. Last week in Malachi 1, 6-14, we saw that it matters how you worship God. If you remember, their their worship was, was polluted. It was selfish. We went through a list of several different things that that their worship, that was wrong with their worship. In chapter 1, verses 6 to 14, it's specifically pointed at the priests, but it's the people as well. It's the people who are bringing these, these sick, these defiled offerings. It's the priests who accept it. They're all guilty. As we move into chapter 2, it zeroes in more on just the priests. You have failed. 
They've brought these wrong offerings, but they've brought it because you have failed to teach them. You have failed to guard the truth, to guard my glory. As we move into this chapter, we'll see the warning. There's a very serious warning that God will give to his priests, and then he'll remind them of their responsibility. And then he'll point out their failure, how they have failed to meet that responsibility. It starts out in Malachi 2, verse 1, And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. Specifically. I'm talking directly to you. This commandment If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name. And that phrase right there, that is the commandment, to give glory to my name. That's the goal. That, that, that is what God is trying to point out in the, first, in, in the end of chapter 1 to the first nine verses of chapter 2. This is what you are failing to do. You are failing to give glory to my name. You are failing And that's what we'll see this morning. Last week we saw that it matters how you worship, and this week we'll see because worship matters. It matters how you worship because worship matters. Because worship is about giving glory to the name of our God. It's a God we've just sung about all all morning long, a God who who is holy, 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 holy. He is unique in his, in his holiness and his purity and his love and his justice. He is unique in who he is. He deserves glory. His name deserves to be lifted up. And yet, they have failed. So this morning in this passage... The big idea, it's stated right here at the beginning, you have failed to give glory to my name. Worship matters because worship is about giving glory to a God who deserves glory. The first thing we see is this morning. Now, O priest, this commandment to give glory to my name, this commandment is for you. This is what you should be doing, what you should be leading in. And if you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart... If you will not heed this warning, if you will not wake up from the slumber in which you find yourself, if you will not return to proper worship, then I will send a curse upon you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart, do you give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts. We talked about that last week. The Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the Lord who who leads the armies of heaven, points out the power, the greatness of this God who is speaking to them. This God who, who they have profaned. He is a great, he is an almighty God. And if you will not hear me, I will send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. I will send a curse upon you. This is the warning. Shape up. 
wake up. Focus. Because if you do not, I will send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessing. Remember, he's talking specifically here to the priests at the beginning. Oh, priests, this commandment is for you. You need to lead in this. I will curse your blessings. I will curse the blessings that come with being a priest. All the things that come with that, that come with this this covenant that we'll see as we get further into this passage. I will take those away. But it goes beyond just affecting you, the blessings that that you receive being a, a priest, but the blessings that you give to the people. When you stand up and you spread your arms and and, and you bless them, you have no right to bless them, for you are not blessed yourself. I will curse your blessings, the blessings that are yours and the blessings that you give, because you do not speak for me anymore. You stand out to this people and you hold your arms out and, and and you proclaim truths. But you're not speaking for me. In fact, yes, I have cursed them already. Your apathy and your contempt has already led to some of these consequences. You're already facing this. You're already under these consequences. Verse 3, he kind of explains this curse a little bit further. Behold... I will rebuke your descendants. If you continue to ignore me, if you continue not to take this to heart, then your actions will not just affect you, they'll affect your seed. They'll affect those who come after you, your descendants. You see, this is a a habit. It's a pattern that they have fallen into. I have cursed them already because they do not take it to heart. You're in the habit of not taking it to heart. And if this continues, I will rebuke your descendants. They will fall into the same error like you, and like you, they will be cast out. Verse 3 gets very, Malachi gets very, Graphic. I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces. Dung. I will spread dung on your faces. That makes us cringe. This is what God will do. I will spread refuse, dung. Specifically, when when the offering is brought and the offering is burned, it's the the leftover, the waste that is left in the sacrificial animal in its stomach. And it's waste that the priest would have to take and he would take outside of the camp to a place and he would dispose of it. He would burn it. It was unworthy. It was filthy. It was unclean. They had to cast it out of the camp. They had to get rid of it. And what God is saying here is, I will take that and I will put it on your faces. 
I will make you unclean. And not only will it humiliate you, but it will make you useless. Because now you are unclean. Now what is on the outside is showing what's on the inside. This is who you are. Your worship is contemptible. Your worship is is unclean. So I'll make your outside fit it. I'll put dung on your faces. The refuse of your your solemn feasts and one will take you away with it as it is thrown out of the camp, as it is useless, as it is not worthy to be there, so you will be thrown out with it. You and your polluted worship will be cast out with the dung. You've defiled me in your worship and so I will defile you. I will cast you out. This is strong language. This is, this is language that, that shakes us, that grabs our attention. Imagine the effect with them. God is saying this to them. This is what your worship is like to me. This is how you have failed. And this is what I will do. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you. Then you shall know how seriously I take my name, the glory of my name. How big of a deal this is to me. At that point, you you can't claim you don't know. I have made it very clear. This is a big deal. This whole graphic section is meant to to shake them, to wake them up, and to call them back, to shake them out of their complacency, to give them a picture in their mind, something physical that they can grab onto. This is what we are doing. This is how big of a deal this is. What's interesting, though, is this last line, that my covenant with Levi may continue. See, God is not going to to, to throw out his covenant with Levi, with the priests altogether. He's not going to just abandon them and abandon that and go back on his word. Rather, he's going to defend that. And part of defending that is throwing these out who have defiled it. He will deal with, he will cast out those who threaten this covenant. And so there's this warning in these first four verses. It's a very stern warning. This will happen. I will do this if you will not hear. And that's the important part. Verse 2 there. If you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart. There's still hope. I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to call you back. To shake you out of your contempt. Take it to heart. Hear me. Understand. So in the first four verses, we see this warning. As you see at the end of verse 4, once again, says the Lord of hosts, It's the Almighty God who is giving you this warning. Almighty God. 
who is reaching out to you and giving you a warning. Wake up. Come to verse 5, you see the responsibility. God returns to this covenant that he formerly referred to. This is a call for them to then get up. Wake up, see what you are doing, purpose to change, and then get up and do it. Return. Return to your purpose, to your responsibility. Verse 5, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. It's not exactly clear which covenant he is talking about. There's no specific covenant with Levi that is mentioned. But the language here is very similar to God's covenant with Phineas in Numbers 25, 10-13. You may remember the story. What had happened was the people of Israel had become very idolatrous. They had intermarried with the land, with the people of the land. They were, they were engaging in, in, in disgusting worship. And they'd become defiled. And there comes a point where a man brings in, brings in a, a, a Canaanite woman. And he's doing disgusting things with her. And this priest, Phineas, cannot take it anymore. And so he takes a spear and he drives it through both of them. And he kills them on the spot. And his zeal for the holiness of God pleases God. And God's wrath against his people is turned aside there in Numbers 10. Numbers 25, verses 10 to 13. So Phineas, in the face of apathy, of idolatry, of rebellion, of adultery, Adultery is, is zealous for the glory of God. And he stands up for it. And God blesses him and he gives him this covenant. And, and in that passage, the language is very similar. He says the covenant of peace. So it's very possible this is the covenant to which God is looking back to here. Covenant with, with Phineas of the line of Aaron, a priest, to all the priests, a, a covenant of life and peace. And notice the responsibilities of this covenant. The covenant of responsibility of the faithful priests, the covenant, the, the responsibility of God is that he will give life and peace. And then look at the rest of the verse. And I, gave them, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. I will give you life and peace and you will fear me. You will give me honor. You will give me glory that is due my name. Verse 5 goes on, so he feared me. You priests cannot claim that, that this covenant that I've made with you is, is, puts impossible responsibility on you. Because look, there was a time. There was a time when the priests did what they were supposed to, when, when they did fear me. They were reverent before my name. The priesthood at one time did what they were supposed to do. They functioned as they were meant to function. They cared about the law. They cared about my worship and they defended it. 
Verse 6, the, tr- the, the law of truth was in his mouth. They knew the truth. They spoke the truth. Injustice was not found on his lips. They knew the truth. They spoke the truth. They carried it out. Injustice. He walked with me in peace, in equity. Walked with God in righteousness. And turned away, and turned many away from iniquity. Not only did they speak the truth, they stood up for the truth. Like Phineas, when he takes that spear and he drives it through, and he's defending the holiness of God, he stands up for, he stands against iniquity. He acted with zeal. Priests were meant to defend righteousness by curbing unrighteousness. As they spoke the truth, as they modeled the truth, as they went through their duties and did their responsibilities, they turned away many from iniquity. Verses 5 and 6, the priesthood at one time and then verse 7 looks to what God expects of priests. These are the responsibilities. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. The people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. What it comes down to is this. You as a priest, in the position that you are in, a priest should be leading people toward the truth. You should be defending the truth. And, and in fact, there's an interesting thing introduced here. You should be teaching the truth. The end of verse 7, that word, he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts, is the only place that's used of a priest. He's a messenger of the Lord. He's not functioning in the role of a prophet. He's not giving new revelation, but he is teaching and upholding previous revelation. He has the law that God has given and he's he's defending that. He's teaching that to the people. He's showing them practically how do we do this in our worship. That's your role as a priest to lead the people into proper worship. To show them how to do this. To teach them who I am. That's your responsibility. A priest should be leading people toward the truth. And then you come to verse 8. Their failure. But you have departed from the way. You've departed. Instead of leading people toward the truth, you lead people astray. They stumble over you. See that in the next phrase. You have caused many to stumble at the law. How can you lead people in the way when you don't even know the way yourself? You're standing up in a position to which the people look to follow and then you're walking in the wrong direction. They're following you and they're stumbling because of you. You've caused many to stumble at the law. You should, you should, as was previously noted, you should keep knowledge. The law of truth should be in your mouth instead of their stumble. 
Because you can't teach the law because you don't know it. You've not put any time into studying it. Their failure to properly worship God, the people's failure, their failure, the people's failure, as we saw last week in verses, in, in chapter 1, verses 6 to 14, their failure to properly worship is your failure, priests. You have failed me and you have failed the people because, you're, because you are failing to teach them. You're failing to turn them away from iniquity. In fact, you're leading them into it. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. You have not feared me, and yet you expect life and peace from me. And yet you stand up and you raise your hands up and you tell the people, everything is okay. This offering is accepted by the Lord. You use the right words. And you're making empty promises to a people. Because your blessing is cursed. You go on blessing the people and leading them to believe that everything is as it should be, but it isn't. Everything is not as it should be because you have led them astray. Once again, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. Therefore, verse 9 looks back to the second half of uh, verse 2, where he says, I have cursed you. Yes, I have cursed you already. This is why. This is what it looks like. Therefore, I have made you contemptible and base. As you have contempt for me and your worship, so I have contempt for you. I do not accept your worship. I do not accept you. And if you stay on this path, I will cast you out. I have made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways. You've shown partiality in the law. The greatest corruption of a law is a law that is not upheld fairly. That's what you've done. You show partiality. You use the law for your benefit instead of for the purpose to which I gave it. You have failed. This passage stands as a stark contrast. It is meant to grab the attention of these priests to call them back. Go back. Look at your responsibilities. Look at this covenant that we made. Return. I think this passage should be a warning to us as well. As we saw last week, Israel's worship was polluted. And as we see this week, it's because their priests are polluted. The apathy and contempt of those meant to lead in worship led to the apathy and contempt of the people. And I think the very clear point, 
of these two passages is that worship matters to God and worship must matter to us. It matters how you worship because worship matters because it is about the glory of God giving Him the honor that is due His name. Matthew Henry said this, nothing profanes the name of God more than the misconduct of those whose business it is to do honor to it. We must take the privilege of worshiping God seriously. These priests did not take their responsibility seriously. And their worship revealed their heart. They had contempt for God. I think this passage has specific application to those of us who lead in worship. Whether teaching, preaching, leading music, anything up front where you are leading people. You are leading the church to worship. We must lead the church to worship rightly. It is our responsibility to not take this responsibility lightly. Worship is not about me and you. It's not about tickling ears. It's about giving glory to God. And we must do it rightly. We must know the truth. We must teach the truth and we must model the truth. But it doesn't just end there. We must respond rightly to the truth. We have the privilege of being a church right down the road from a Christian college, Faith Baptist Bible College. And I know there's several young men in here this morning who are planning to go into full-time ministry. Young women as well. You'll have the opportunity to, to lead women's ministries and to be involved in, in children's ministries and things like that. We even have young men in our church and young women in our church who are not yet at college age, but who have already said, I have this desire. I see this calling on my life. I want to lead and worship. I feel God leading me that way. To pastor or whatever it is for the young men. And I would encourage you all, do not miss the point here in Malachi 1 and 2. I know we're not priests. But God is God. And God deserves the glory due His name. And the worship of the church is a heavy matter. It's a big deal. Don't just go with the flow. Think through it. Model pure worship. Teach your people the truth of God's Word and how to respond rightly to it. Good theology is good. We need that foundation, but it must lead to pure worship. We must know the truth and we must respond rightly to the truth. 
know the truth, respond to the truth, and lead others to respond rightly to the truth as well. As Dr. Newman mentioned, people see, people follow. And you may not know it, but there's likely someone who sees you and likely someone who's following you. I was just talking to one of my friends this week. We were texting about a, a pastor in the area from growing up. And I hadn't heard from him in a while, so I was just asking, what is he up to? And my friend said, I, I don't know where he's at. And I, I made this statement to him. I said, you know, I never knew him. I was never in his youth group. I had a few interactions with him. I saw him from a distance, but he made an impact on me. I saw his passion for the gospel. And even as a young high schooler, that impacted me. Brothers and sisters, people are watching us. They're watching, our, they're watching our worship. And what is our worship communicating? But just because you may not be in the position to lead in worship does not mean that this passage is not applicable to us, to all of us. Because we are all watching. People see. Not only that, but unlike the people, you have access to God's word. See, that's the thing. At the, 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 the temple, they may not have all had copies of the Torah. They were dependent on the priests to tell them. And when the priests didn't, they were led astray. And it's still our responsibility as, as leaders, as pastors, as teachers, as, as those who lead in worship in the church to lead you in the truth. But you have the truth with you. You have a copy of it. You don't need me to tell you. The failure of the leader is not an excuse for the failure of the people. You know, what's interesting is that in chapter 1, verses 6 to 14, God does not just dismiss the people's failure to worship rightly. The leaders failed them, the leaders led them astray, but they're not off the hook, they're still responsible. So take this to heart. Search your heart. Understand that it matters how you worship because worship matters. It's giving glory to God. I think we would fail in, in closing. We would fail ourselves. We would fail this passage if we didn't take a second to glory in our God, to glory in our perfect high priest. Because I was studying this this week, I was seeing the failure of these priests in my mind went to our perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, who doesn't fail. A redeemer. He never fails us. He never leads us astray. In fact, I would encourage you, I think it would be a good idea while we are working our way through Malachi, we're seeing the failure of the priest, the failure of the people, read through Hebrews the next several weeks. Look at our high priest. See the failure of, of these priests to, to do what God had called them to do and then look to the triumph of Christ who stands, who represents us, who gives us boldness before God. 
As you work your way through Malachi, there's a, a, a building anticipation looking towards this coming one, this Messiah. Malachi at the time didn't see it as two comings, but now we have the privilege to stand after the coming of Christ the first time, to see him as our perfect high priest and to long to be with him again for his second coming. Malachi builds that anticipation. We have the privilege to look back and to see that. To see the faithfulness of God. This high priest who stands for us at the right hand of God. Who intercedes for us. Perfectly. Unlike the failed priests. We don't have to worry about that. Our high priest never fails. 